All right, I'm not sure how I follow that, but I'm going to do my best. Uh, Before we dive into the scriptures, there are a couple other things that we want to let you know about. There are a couple of ways in which we are serving families in our community um, this month. Um, One is uh, all month long, we have a sock drive going that benefits the Boise uh, Rescue Mission. And so you can bring brand new socks, men, women, kids. There's a... a, a box in the lobby every single Sunday. You can drop them in, um, and we would love to be able to make a huge difference uh, and help them out. Also, um, I've been talking for the last few weeks about how we were working really hard to put together a, a project um, with Boise Angels for kids in foster care, and for a variety of reasons that were out of our control, it just um, fell apart multiple times. And so we had to kind of shift, but this opportunity sort of fell in our lap actually to partner with uh, uh, Family Advocates who serves all kinds of um, foster families and foster kids in this valley and because of Arden and other family that's in our, our church. And so um, we are, um, they, they said, hey, we really need gift cards for the kids. So there's 20 families that we're working with that represents 85 foster kids in, these, in those 20 families. And so, um, but we're trying to get those gift cards in the next couple of days because they start distributing them. And so if you have time today to run out, um, you can find me, I, I'll text you, I'll send you my address. We've posted about it. You can share, you can drop them off. Off, uh, in the next 24 hours, to, you know, sometime tomorrow before tomorrow afternoon, and we will make sure they all get uh, to family advocates. And wouldn't that be amazing if we were able to help every single one of those families and, uh, and make a difference for all 85 of those kids? That would be fantastic. All right. Whew. All right. Um, I, I don't know um, if you've ever noticed, uh, but we are humanity. We are a people of signs. We can't help it. We look for them everywhere. There seems to be something about us that we're obsessed with signs. And we don't all see the same signs, um, but we all look for and find different signs. And, And I'll give you an example. For all the efforts that we've made as a church in this community to serve and to love people, for all the time and energy and money that we've spent to spread the word in our community about South Hills, to let people know since we've launched, you know, we're about two years old, to let people know about our church, the, all the ways in which we've tried to love people and demonstrate God's love in very practical and tangible ways. The thing that pay, people seem to remember most um, it isn't any of those things. It is my wife, Hansi's hair. I cannot tell you the number of times where we've been somewhere and I've been talking to somebody about our church and the people weren't like, oh, that's really cool. Yeah, I know that place because you guys did that thing where you gave away gift cards or you did that thing where you, you know, served these people or you did that thing where you helped people. No, no, no. The conversation's almost always like, oh, yeah, it's the lady with the purple or the pink or the blue or the rainbow or the unicorn hair, right? Yeah, like my kids love that hair. Like she's awesome, right? Her hair has become a sign in, for so many people about our church. And one of the interesting things about what I do as a pastor is how many crazy things that people have said to me right after I've been finished speaking. So um, a, a number of years ago, we were passing a church in Northern California and, and we had this older lady um, named Joni. She was like 82 or 87. I can't remember which. She was well into her 80s. Um, and, and, and she would constantly, she sat on the front row and every time I was speaking, she acted as if her and I were having a personal conversation. And so she would say things out loud and yell things to me and respond to you know, all kinds of different ways. And she came up to me after service one day and she was like, Pastor Randy. And I said, hi, Joni, how are you? And she said, I have a question. I said, what's your question? She's like, you used to be handsome. Now you're fat. What happened to you? 
My brother attended the church at the time. She's like, look at your brother. He's skinny. Look at you. I was like, I've never slapped an 85-year-old woman, but, <laughs> but it's fascinating to me how people pick up signs that other people miss because they actually mean something to them. And some of them, some of them are, are really aren't that deep or profound. Like a number of years ago, there was a family in Hawaii that started this little clothing and surf brand called He is Greater Than I. And, and the logo is the word he, but it's the greater than sign and then I. And so uh, it, it's grown a ton and you see it more and more, but we sort of stumbled across it, I don't know, eight, 10, 12 years ago and started buying their stuff. And almost every time I've won, or I've worn one of their shirts uh, to church and, or I'm speaking somewhere, someone will approach me afterwards. And I, I think they're coming up to say something complimentary about my message that I just finished, right? Where I just poured out my heart because you can only hope, right? Like somebody's coming to be like, yeah, that was amazing. It changed my life. And, and almost always it's, it's not that. It's like, oh, I like your shirt or I have one of their stickers on my car. And I'm like, oh, wow. Like, I'm so glad you showed up to, to compliment my shirt Right? Or, or there have been times where people have come up to me when I'm done speaking and they're like, man, we have a question and we were talking about it the whole service and we're really wondering and I think they're gonna ask me something really deep and profound. I'm like, hey, of course, what's your question? Because I'm thinking like, man, I've broken through. Something I said to them kind of moved them and unlocked their hearts and they had this moment with God. And, and then they're like, well, what, is, what does your shirt mean? Like we were staring at it and we're trying to figure it out the whole time. Like we couldn't even, we weren't really even paying attention to what you were saying. Right? And I'm just like, I'm so glad I could meet you in this sacred moment where God would change your life. But, but the signs pull us in, right? They, they tell us where we belong and where we don't belong. I mean, when you're dating, you got to learn how to read the signs, right? Because you can mess that up pretty quickly. You don't want to project signs where there are no signs. I mean, every great romantic comedy that's out there is really about people who are giving signs to people who cannot read the signs, right? And we're watching it and we're thinking like, what is it going to take for you to see that she's in love with you? And not her, her, right? The, the, you know, the girl who's with you all the time, the one that laughs at your jokes, the one who shows up with your favorite drink, the girl who's there when your life is falling apart, not the girl who's dating the other guy, which by the way is a sign. And the truth is we all miss signs though. Like I confess, like I've missed signs. I've missed a few speed suggestion signs on the freeway before. And, and I say suggestion because I don't believe in limits. I believe in God. <laughs> All things are possible with God. I, I, there's something in me when I see those signs that I'm like, no, why do we limit ourselves? Just believe we can do more. We're capable of more. God has made us free. We can go faster than this. But I've missed signs that I shouldn't have missed. I've missed stop signs. And I don't believe in missing stop signs. I don't actually think that I've ever missed a stop sign on purpose, no matter what my wife, Hansi, might tell you. I think most of the stop signs I've missed, she was with me. And so I think it was probably her fault in some way that I missed that stop sign. But have you ever missed a stop sign because you didn't see it and then people judge you? And you're just like, I, I didn't see it. I mean, those red signs are so hard to spot especially when they put them right there on the corner like that. You just can't see them. But one of the things that I think is true, no matter who you are or what you believe or how many signs you've missed or how many signs you are looking for, we don't always see them, but that God created you and I, he created all of us, where he gives us signs in our lives 
to guide our life. That God is, the scriptures tell us that God is speaking to us, that God is reaching out to us, that God is trying to get our attention, that he's sending, he's doing everything he can to send you the signs to get your attention so that you would turn to him. And Christmas is one of those signs. But the story began long before Jesus ever came. So check this out in Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14. It says this, it says, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And the sign will be that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, I know we read that verse a lot. And if you've been in church, or you've grown up in church, even if you haven't, you've probably heard that verse a lot. And I don't want it to just be so familiar that you just sort of gloss over it, right? Because he says that the Lord is going to give you a sign. See, generations before Jesus was ever conceived in Mary's womb, he was conceived in the mind and heart of God. And notice that what he says, this, is, this isn't something God is doing for himself, that he's given himself a reminder like, oh yeah, this is what I feel about humanity. No, this, this sign isn't for God. This sign is for us. Jesus coming into the world is a sign for us. And it tells us that the Lord himself, the, the verse tells us that the Lord himself is the one who will give us that sign. That God is the initiator, which I, I think is important because so often in our stories, right, we tell ourselves that we're the ones who are searching for God. We're the ones who are the initiators, that God is just sort of aloof or elusive and, and he wants us to want him, but he's sort of the, the goat at playing hard to get. You know, he's just like really good at dodging. He's over there and we go over there and then he's not there. But the reality is just the opposite, that he is the one that's pursuing us. That God is the one that's leaving us signs that point the way to him. And so he says, I'm going to drop this massive sign in the middle of all of human history that will be like a beacon on the darkest, darkest of nights. That will point the way to hope when there's only despair. That will point the way to love when there's only hate. That will point the way to joy and to peace and to life. That will point the way toward him, which brings us to the New Testament Christmas story itself, because the entire narrative is filled with all these signs that Jesus is the sign. We so easily miss them because they're like blues clues that are sort of sprinkled and woven into the story that we don't always see. So let me read it to you. And I'm not going to put it on the screen just yet, we're going to give you some verses here in a second, but I, I just want you to listen to the story in Matthew chapter 2. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And they quote, but you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report back to me so that I too may go and worship him. And after they heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place 
where the child was. And when, the, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. And then they opened and they presented, they opened their treasures and presented them with gifts of gold and frankincense, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So Matthew is telling the story and he's, begins by giving all these details about these mysterious travelers, the Magi who are coming from the East and their experience in discovering and finding Jesus. And the story is full of all kinds of signs when you listen to it, when you read it, right? Because there's the, the star, right? The, the star that they see. And then there's the, the conversations that they have with Herod and the, the quotes from the priests and teachers of the law, the prophecies. And then they have a, a dream warning them not to go back to Herod. Uh, then there's the gifts that they present, the treasures that they present to Jesus. Listen again to what they gave him in Matthew chapter two, verse 11. It says, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. See, I think Matthew tells us what they brought Jesus because he's doing something very specific. He's giving us clues. He's giving us signs. See, last week we talked a little bit about the gold, that the gold was a sign that in spite of the surroundings that he was born into, that Jesus was a king, which is an incredibly powerful truth. And so we spent time last week talking about how this gold was this, the, the declaration that Jesus is in charge of everything that we are so desperate to control in our lives. But then Matthew seems to know the kinds of conclusions that people would draw when they're reading about the sign of gold and this king. And although he insists that Jesus is a different kind of king, he doesn't want people thinking that this is just another political story about just another king who's come along. And so he tells us that they also brought him frankincense, which doesn't really mean a whole lot to us, right? Like we, we don't use it that often. We, most of us are like, we don't even really know what it is. It sounds like it's some sort of incense. And so it's easy for us to miss, but this is a profound and beautiful sign that I want you to see. See, the gold symbolized that Jesus was coming as our king, but frankincense, frankincense symbolized that Jesus was coming as our priest. And by including that little detail, he's telling us that, that the Jesus story, it isn't a political story, that it's a spiritual one. That it isn't about laws and government, that it's about life and God. That it, he isn't just a king, that he's a priest. Now, depending on your background, that might mean different things to different ones of us, right? For most of us, that doesn't exactly move us. We're not just like, oh, wow, that's amazing, right? But and even if you're sort of indifferent, at the very least, it can be a little bit complicated and confusing of a picture for us. But I, I want you to stick with me for a moment because it's a far bigger deal than what it seems like on the surface. And I don't want you to miss this sign. I don't know if you remember, think back when you were a kid or maybe when you were in junior high or high school and you had a crush on someone, but you weren't exactly sure how they felt about you, right? And you were looking for the signs, but you just, you couldn't pick up on any of them, right? But you couldn't go directly to them and just 
tell them exactly what you were thinking and how you were feeling, right? So you had to sort of broker the relationship. You had to do some back channel negotiations, right? You, you talked to them, but you didn't talk directly to them. You talked to them by talking to their friends, right? You would go to their best friend and be like, hey, what's going on? Like, I'm really curious, how is she, what's she thinking? Like when I met my wife when I was 12 years old and I was taken with her immediately and she was not. She, I was giving her the signs and she was given, definitely giving me signs, but they were not interested signs. And, and so like I started uh, working her best friend, her, na- her, her name was Laura and I would talk to Laura and I'd be like, Laura, what's going on? Tell me about Hansi, tell me about what she's like, what she's into. Like, and I just continued to get to know Laura and Laura was always feeding me information and talking to her. And I just began to negotiate my relationship and try to get close to Hansi through her friend, Laura. Right, because that's what you do when you're a kid. And I, I don't know if you ever thought this, but I remember thinking when I was in junior high school that relationships were so complicated because of all the obstacles that were in their way. Because she lived 25 minutes from me and I, I don't drive, right? I don't have money. But, but when I get older, I remember thinking like, when I get older, relationships are gonna just be so much easier. And then you get older and you realize how dumb that is, right? Because the obstacles to the closeness in our relationships aren't physical or financial or even transportational, right? They're, they're mental and emotional and relational because you've experienced this and you know this be, to be true. Proximity doesn't produce intimacy, right? You've been physically close to someone that you could not have felt farther from. Eventually, we all discover in our lives that you can share the same space, the same house, the same room, even the same bed with someone, but there be a universe of space between you. Maybe it was something they said. Maybe it was something you did. Maybe it was a misunderstanding. Maybe it was an assumption or a broken expectation. Maybe you just didn't know what to say to them or how to reach them. Because all this stuff was in the way. And sometimes in those situations, we're able to figure out how to repair that rupture or whatever it is that happened. And and between us and them, we're able to, to, to repair it by ourselves. But most of the time, we need help from the outside. We need somebody to step, in, to, to step in and help us find our way back to each other, right? When you were a kid, that's just a huge part of being a parent, right? Is refereeing and sort of helping them navigate conflict and, and you got to step in, right? And, and you got to help them see and understand their sibling and sort of negotiate the situation. And then when you're a couple and you're an adult, they often need a therapist to step in and well, help you see and understand each other and not negotiate the situation, And even if it's just something small that's annoying you, you will call a friend and you'll vent to them and maybe even ask them for advice. And then they'll say, why did you call me? Hang up and text me. And then they'd hang up because you're not supposed to call people in today's. But think about us and God now for a moment. He's obviously bigger. He sees what we can't. He's perfect and you're flawed and I'm flawed. And so I hate to break it to you this morning, but if there's a break, if there's distance, if there's a break between, in the relationship between us and God, it's, it's on our side. It's not him, it's you, it's me, it's us. And there's nothing we can do to fix it. We need some help from the outside. We need a go-between. We need somebody to step into the middle and help us, right? We need a priest because that's what priests do. That's their role. They're the go-betweens. In the Old Testament, the priests actually represented the people to God, but they, he also represented God to the people. They were literally in the middle between people and God. And that's where the frankincense comes in. 
because average people didn't have it. It was something that only the priests possessed. It was something only they had. And so they, they burned the frankincense, they burned the incense as a way of helping people connect to God. So every single day, the priest would go into the holy place every single morning and every evening and pray for the people and they would burn frankincense. And the, the burning, the smoke coming from the frankincense had multiple meanings, right? The, the smoke that, from, that was burning was this incredible sign for the people who couldn't go into the holy place. It was a sign, it was a reminder to them when they saw the smoke coming from the holy place. It was a symbol of God's presence. It was a reminder that God had not abandoned them, that he was right there. But it also symbolized like the prayers of the people. Although the priest would pray on behalf of the people, the incense was the signal, this sign of all of the prayers that people had prayed sort of going up to God. It was a reminder that he's listening, that they're not just praying to the wall, that he hears them. It happened every morning and every night. But there was also another way that the priest used the frankincense. Once a year, he would go into the most holy place, the place where God dwelt. Yes, God was everywhere all at once, but this was different. This this was the, the epicenter. This was the place that God was like, this is the place where I'm going to place my presence. And the priest would go in there once a year to meet with and talk to God and make a sacrifice on behalf of all the people. But, but, when they went in, they'd take, before they went in, they would take coals and incense from the altar and they'd put them in a container, they'd put them in a censer and, and they would go in and, and let the, the incense burn in the most holy place so there was smoke in there. And they did it so that while they were in the most holy place, the smoke would serve as this type of buffer between them and God. It was a reminder to them that even though they're the priest, they're still human. Even though they're the representative, even though they're the go-between, they're not God, they're not perfect. And ultimately, they're not really worthy, any more worthy of standing before God than anybody else. Now, that's a lot of detail about Old Testament stuff. What, is, what does that mean? Some of you are already kind of ahead of me, but I don't want you to miss this. So God sends a sign. He steps into human history. He's born as a baby, as one of us. And the Magi, the people that nobody but God would choose for his story, they show up from somewhere people don't even know. And they present Jesus with these very specific and very extravagant gifts. Matthew specifically tells us what they are because of what they represent. See, the gold wasn't just saying you're a king. It was a declaration that Jesus You are the king. And then they give him the frankincense. And it wasn't just a sign that he was gonna be a priest. It was a sign that he was the priest. He was the go-between. He's the one who's going to connect God and humanity. Now, the Magi couldn't, there's no way they could have fully understood what it was that they were doing and what it all meant. But God did And remember, he's the one sending the signs. What's crazy is when you read the New Testament, this kind of understanding, this is exactly what the first followers of Jesus believed about him. So check out this this Christmas verse. You've probably never even heard this verse, but it's this beautiful verse about Christmas. It's in 1 Timothy 2, verse 5. It says this, There is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ. Now, I know that doesn't just give us the like warm fuzzies like reading Luke chapter two does when it comes to Christmas, but that is an incredible verse about Christmas. 
See, because the New Testament is chock full of this kind of language and this description of Jesus. In fact, there's a whole entire book in the New Testament called Hebrews that was written almost exclusively to help people understand how the whole temple, priest, sacrifice system was no longer necessary because Jesus, that he was the perfect priest. He was the go-between, not just for the Jews, but for all of humanity. Let me just give you a little excerpt from Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 14 says, So then, since we have a great high priest, speaking of Jesus, who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he has faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, for there we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Things between God and us were broken. He was untouchable. He was unapproachable. But then he sends Jesus. And Jesus gets us because he's one of us and he was perfectly, he, per, he was perfect and he perfectly bridged the gap between us and God. See, the truth, the sign of Christmas is that Jesus is both the God we're trying to connect with and the priest that's doing the connecting. That's the sign. That's the message of Christmas, that he's not far away. He's not somewhere else. He's not hidden behind a veil in a temple. You no longer need a priest or a buffer or a go-between. You don't have to wonder or work for his love or acceptance. You can go straight. This is straight from the verse. You can go straight to God with confidence and freedom and vulnerability and openness. And you don't have to hide or pretend that you're better than you are. You don't have to hold anything back. You can go and find mercy and grace and help every time you need it. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. God is with us. What other sign could God give us but himself? See, Jesus removes every single obstacle between us so that he can actually be close to us. He comes, <laughs> removes all of the mess, all of the brokenness, all of the noise. That's the message of Christmas. That's the sign that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And giving him the frankincense was like saying, we don't need this or the system that it represents to connect with you any longer because you're already here. And when the Magi found him, he wasn't in a palace. He wasn't in a temple insulated by rituals or obstacles. He was in a manger. God was truly with us, the rest of us, all of us. No wonder they bowed down and worshiped him. And when they did, that common space, that manger became a holy place. 
I wonder, what, what, if, what if that's still possible in your life and in my life? I wonder, what are the signs that are all around you pointing you to God? What if all you had to do was to open your eyes and acknowledge that God is already there with you? I wonder what spaces and people or activity that God is trying to open your eyes to the sacred nature of, but that we just can't see it because it just looks so common to us. There's an Old Testament story about a guy named Moses who's working as a shepherd and one day he's at work tending his flock and he's driving them across this plain and he sees a bush that's on fire but is not being burned up. And as he approaches the bush to go check it out and he's walking up to see what's going on, God speaks to him from within the fire within the bush. This is what God says in Exodus chapter three, verse five. Don't come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. See, I I don't think God was talking about that particular patch of dirt because there wasn't anything holy. Moses had no doubt traveled that patch of dirt before. What's interesting about this conversation, what's interesting about what God says to him in this conversation is that Moses isn't in a temple. He's out on a plane at work and he's dirty and he's sweaty and he's not all that presentable. The environment doesn't smell spiritual. It doesn't smell like incense. It probably smells like BO and livestock. Right? Nothing about that scenario sounds holy to us. And even if we were to somehow think that it was, right, we certainly wouldn't tell the person in that position or anybody to take their shoes off, right? We'd be, it would be the opposite. We'd be like, bro, this is holy ground. You need to put those nasty, smelly feet back in your shoes. Do it for God and for us. Because it doesn't look or sound holy to us, but to God in that moment, it was. And nothing about the manger seems holy to us, but to God, it was. Because any space where you're willing to open your heart and connect to Jesus actually becomes a holy place. There's holy place, there's holy ground, there's holy places here at this school. Right? And maybe like Moses, for you, it's at work. Maybe, maybe it's at home in your kitchen. Maybe it's you sitting in your car. Maybe it's in, in a school gymnasium like this where people come every week and open their heart to God. And this is holy ground. See, Christmas is a sign that Jesus came to show us we can be close to him no matter who we are, no matter what we are, no matter where we are. I I talk to people all the time, especially this time of year because people who don't normally attend church tend to find their way for a variety of reasons into churches this time of year. I, I talk to people all the time who've had bad experiences in church. And if you have you fall into that category, I, 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 want, 
And I, I don't want you to live your life thinking that this thing that identifies itself with God called religion is the sign that God left for us. It's, it's not. I've talked to so many people who once had a faith, but now they're running from that experience. And if you're here this morning and you're thinking, or like you're, you're running from God, or you just like, I've, you've just decided like, you know, that's not for me because you had a terrible experience with people who identified with God. And so you concluded like, if this is what God is like, I don't really want anything to do with him. What I want you to know is that there's a good chance that the things that you're running from are actually the very things that God is running from. Which means you're not actually running from God, you're running toward him. See, just because somebody forged his name on a religion doesn't mean that it was actually him. There's all kinds of signs that send us in the wrong directions. A couple of weeks ago, I was in a parking garage and I swear, everywhere I went, there was a sign that told me where the exit was, but there was no exit. I kept going to the next sign and it said, go that way. And I drove in circles for like 15 minutes. Where the heck, has that ever happened to you? And sometimes I think that happens to us in our faith and in our life, where we're, we're, we're trying to follow the clues, we're trying to follow the signs, but it just feels like we end up just sort of going in circles. What I want you to know is that God is running towards you, and he desperately wants you to find what's true and what's real. I, I love Christmas. I love all the signs that come with it. I love the trees and the lights and the music, the decorations and the food. I love it all. But at the center of it all is a baby. And that baby is the greatest sign of all. And I don't want you to miss it. So this morning, here's what I want you to do. I, I wanna invite you to identify the obstacles that are keeping you from approaching God with confidence whether it's a habit, a relationship, some wound, some pain, some past experience, some church experience, what's the obstacle between you and God? And then simply open your heart, embrace the invitation from Jesus to come and find the mercy and the grace and the help you need when you need it most. Let's pray together.